Hi there, listeners. Hi. This is Chris and Joe here, uh, coming up at the top of the episode, reminding you to submit your mailbag questions. You have until December 15th to do it. You can uh, message us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. You can also email us at hadoscarbuzz at gmail.com. Send us all your lovely questions. We'll be en- we'll be uh, answering them at the uh, on our mailbag episode at the end of this month. It's a nice little New Year's to read for yeah. you. It's about Oscar ephemera. Uh, please do not ask us uh, questions about COVID. Right. We want to be no light. COVID questions. No. When are you going to do X movie questions? We'll probably not answer those on. But like, yeah. Oscar stuff, actor stuff, movie stuff. You know, we like answering questions. You don't need to ask. We're doing it for We're kind of bummed out about that, but you know, other than that, we've got no HBO Max questions. Thank a goodness. Thank goodness. Thank goodness gracious. Yes, we're we're gonna have a good time together. We're going to uh, have laughs um uh nostalgic tears um all oh, of wow. the above you're really requiring a lot of me emotionally for this episode chris i know i am very demanding co-host and friend okay. all right uh, yes but so yes send us in your questions and then uh and settle in for this episode on life as a house it's a good one we got a good one coming bye bye wait not bye stay don't go away no Please don't go bye. away don't stay. go away don't go away Right. Uh oh, wrong house. No, the right house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. And I'll take a shower in the middle of the yard. Come over to my house whenever you want. Finally tearing down this pile of junk. Oh, hey, George. Guess how many low-income apartments the city approved for this lot? Could you hand me a towel? I'm getting out. Why are you so tight? I'm coming in. I was here six years, and I only hated two. Which two? First, because I wasn't sure you really loved me, and the last, because I wasn't sure I really loved you. I think you build something I can be proud to give you. Build this house with me. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that sets off the sprinkler system in the Mercury Theater because we're just that dumb. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my soft goth child of divorce, Chris File. Hello, Chris. <laughs> I'm vaguely offended by that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, watch this movie and you'll be goth. fully like no no judgment to goths. I definitely had like a friend who was very goth because I grew up in the uh like corn evolution of goth, corn with a k. Um Gotcha. I had you had me on a different path for a second there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um musically in this movie, aside from Joni Mitchell, I probably identify as Guster. Well, the music in this movie is all over the place, and we're definitely going to get into that for sure once we uh, get into the full swing of this. But yeah, we're going to be talking about a movie that uh, I think both of us said before we started that we haven't really revisited this movie at all since it first came out. So this was a 
uh, fascinating little uh, revisitation. Uh, the things you didn't forget, uh, or the things that you forgot about this movie, you probably buried them very deep. Um, yeah, but the things I remembered were like real still fresh in my memory. So oh, like... sure, 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 sure. <laughs> but there was the wildest things in this movie were the things that I yeah. really did not remember whatsoever. Yeah, life on that cul-de-sac was uh, interesting, uh, to say the least. But this film was not uh, my uh, selection, nor was it yours. This was the selection of our very special guest this week, and we don't like to waste a whole lot of time before we bring in our guest, because uh, what's the point in chit-chatting without... uh, Those podcasts that, like talk for 20 minutes before they introduce their guests where they're like holding them hostage before they introduce them we're well, not that podcast s- some of them are some podcasts do the thing where they record separately a little like chit chatty intro by themselves but we the listener aren't sure whether they're that kind of podcast or not so we as a listener are in suspense as to like are they just saying all of this in front of the guest because again you know what you know there's a guest when you click on it because you have a podcast app and you've selected yes. this episode on purpose. So anyway, we don't want to be we don't want to give you listeners that stress. So we are going to bring in our special guest for this episode. She is a freelance writer. You may have seen her work on the AV Club or recently on prom, primetimer.com and she is the host of the Angel on Top podcast and co-host of the Empire Diaries podcast. Latoya Ferguson, welcome to this head Oscar buzz. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. And you may know there's a guest because I was already laughing and I made a corn joke. We love it. <laughs> Listen, all our guests need to make a, a vegetable joke of some sort. Whether you have it's... set a new uh, criteria. Um, <laughs> yes. Everybody has to mention some early 2000s artifact of uh, music specificity. I don't know what I'm saying, yeah. but you have set it... a new rule. <laughs> Because it wasn't even a joke. It was just me elaborating that it's corn with a, a backwards R. It's what it, what it is. It is shocking that there is no corn song in this because it does yeah. have, I'm pretty sure that's a Limp Biscuit song. It yes, sure was. Yes, it, is. it sure it's as heck Limp was. It's a Limp Biscuit ballad at that. Yep. It's, yeah, the sad Limp Biscuit song. It's the uh, Fred Durst has feelings too song. Mm-hmm. We will absolutely discuss that i would rather um learn that fred durst has feelings from that one song than from his cinematic directorial career oh what was that movie called that movie he directed i know it's been more than one but that one more than one wasn't it that uh movie where john travolta had a bowl cut am i crazy yes that That is that is what it is i cannot remember what it's called i just keep wanting to call it the fan and i know it's not the fan (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes, and that was the 90s, but he didn't he also direct a movie with Ice Cube? Did he? All right, now I'm doing it. Now I'm bringing up the Fred Durst filmography on IMDb because no. my hand has been forced. No, we're doing this now. There's no going back. <laughs> all right, Fred Durst. God, his, the, the fact that he has a filmography at all is crazy. Oh, and of course, IMDb is giving me all his music videos. Give me a second. I'm going to get them to... Well, you can't like forget Narrow his cameo in the pilot of McGee's Fast Lane either. Oh God, Fast Lane! I remember Fast Lane. I don't remember him in it. I probably blocked him out. But um, it's Facinelli, right? Yeah, yeah, Facinelli and Bill Bellamy and Tiffany Amber Thiessen. I'm pretty sure. Absolutely, I could talk about Fast Lane for a long, long time. What a I've time written to about be alive. Fast Lane multiple times. <laughs> Oh my god. That was Amazing. a mad lips right. of a cast. That's wild. Oh, absolutely fully wild. Okay. So the fanatic, not the fan, but Travolta Bullcut is called the Fanatic. 
Okay. Um, I, so I wasn't crazy to, to be thinking the fan when I knew it wasn't the fan. <laughs> no, it's that is the first two stars listed are John Travolta and Devin Sawa. I'm probably going to have to watch this movie now. Oh, um, boy. The Ice Cube movie with Ice Cube and Kiki Palmer is called The Long Shots, which means, God damn it, I'm probably going to have to try and watch that movie, too. And then the one that I was thinking of that was like the teen one was Jesse Eisenberg in The Education of Charlie Banks from Jesus, wasn't that like a Sundance movie? I'm pretty sure that it was, yes. Because that was the first one, so people weren't really sure yet whether Fred Durst was going to become one of these. No, it was Tribeca Film Festival premiere. So, uh, yeah. Why are we yeah. allowing this? Why? Why have we allowed? <laughs> we've, we've, we allowed Fred Durst a lot in his career, let's be honest. Like, he... There's just so much that we let him become a fashion statement. We, we let, let him, him date- rhyme the word nookie with cookie. <laughs> exactly. And made it a hit. Made it a huge hit. God. We that was our first. Mission Impossible theme. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. God. Which one was that? Was that the third MI2, one? MI2, baby. MI2. MI2 yeah. went wrong in so many ways. All right. So, LaToya, as a first-time guest, with all our first-time guests, we want to sort of get the lay of the land in terms of what your relationship is to the Oscars. We sort of talk about it as an Oscars origin story. Like, when was the first time you remember being aware of the Oscars and being aware of being interested in them? Yeah, so I knew I was going to have to answer this question uh, when I, I found out I was going to be on the podcast. So I, I, I literally, I went to my mom and I'm like, mom, do you remember the first time I watched the Oscars? And she's like, why are you asking this question? That's weird. <laughs> I, I often ask my mom like work-related questions. And she's like, what, what, why? Why are you asking this? I'm like, it's, it's a thing. I have, I have it's, to do a thing. It's for mom. work. It's for work. Yeah. Um, so I was racking my brain for it and uh, – I was like, obviously, for most of it, like the Oscars would have been past my bedtime as a child. So I'm like, when would have been been like old enough to care, I guess? And I realized it would have been um, the 73rd Academy Awards, which was in 2001. And that's the year Gladiator won Best Picture, Soderbergh yeah. won Best mm-hmm. Director for Traffic. And I definitely, I think that was kind of a big one in our household because like my mom was big into B- Billy Elliot and we were big into Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Aaron Brockovich, and even like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which I know. Which one of you hates Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Both. Of I you hate or? Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. Yeah, we were strangely like a, a Coen Brothers uh, household. Like uh, nice. Raising Arizona was like a perennial fave in my my household growing up. <laughs> uh, That's but yeah, awesome. so I I just remember specifically. I remember seeing the clips for Traffic and not knowing what that movie was, but every time being like, I need to see this, but I was 12, so like I wasn't going to see it anytime soon. Right. And that movie, like a lot of movies, because I, for the most part, wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies unless my mom didn't know they were rated R, or it's yeah. like, it's not that like big of a deal, like the content wise. And so to this day, there'll be movies I never saw as a kid because like they were like rated R and I couldn't see them. And my mom's like, oh, haven't you seen them? Like, when would I have seen it, mom? When? <laughs> this is your fault i love that genre of movies which is movies that were uh from around the time when you were like 12 to 14 years old and you wanted to be or at least if you were me like wanted to be conversant with like grown-up things so these were the kind of movies you're like this is the kind of movie i want to be able to watch and maybe you like never did but you saw an ad for i remember movies like 
Um, God, I was even younger. Like movies like Presumed Innocent or something like that, where it's just like it's a legal drama and a thriller. And I'm like, this is very mature and adult, and I want to watch this. <laughs> and I think that played into a large part of why I became such a fanatic for A Few Good Men when I was uh, 12 years old, because I was like the only 12-year-old super fan <laughs> of A Few Good Men. <laughs> but it was because it was just like I was very much a child who wanted to be uh, – who wanted to like – uh, grown-up adult things that weren't just like you know kid stuff and it's a it's a fun little uh subgenre of things traffic feels like it would fit very well into that genre yeah sure. and especially like around that era you have all these movies and stuff you see like in your oh in trailers uh, like when you're watching your vhs's or like your early dvds or whatever and you're like one day i'll see that movie and then you forget completely about yep. it Yep, like the movie totally. I always think about that I never got around to seeing, but I'm like I saw this like in front of I don't know she's all that or whatever a million times was Broke Down Palace. Yes, with Claire I Dave love Broke Down Palace. Never saw it. I've only seen the trailer and I've like read the plot, but I'm just like as a kid I was like one day I'm gonna watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was weirdly that trailer was weirdly so like burned into my brain for whatever reason. I think you're right though, is that it was a big um on the VHSs of some popular movies at the time. Yeah. So but that trailer had that um sort of dance trance remix of the Sarah McLaughlin song in mm-hmm. it. And um it ended with Claire Danes sort of like banging her fist on the jail bars and saying we didn't yeah. do it he's done it a hundred times and you're just 101 you did it didn't you you've ruined my whole life i didn't do it those girls have absolutely no chance of getting out of there guilty or not they're guilty they're gonna die if we don't do something and i was like oh my god that's yeah that fully sold me i think about her screaming i didn't do it a lot thank you okay yes thank you (laughs) absolutely true that was also i think i've talked about this on this podcast briefly before that era of the post do you remember the uh incident in singapore where the american teenager was sentenced to be caned he was sort of whipped with a cane absolutely um, for was it it was either weed or vandalism or shoplifting or something comparatively minor and it was like a big momentary scandal in the united states and after that in the years after that there was this run of movies about american young white american kids who got who went overseas and got in trouble and the punishment was like severe and it was like broke down palace and it was return to paradise with joaquin phoenix and vince vaughn and Anne haish and um, I can't remember the other ones, but when I was at the Atlantic Wire, when I was a, a culture editor at the Atlantic Wire and David Sims was working there with me, I literally, I didn't make David write about it, but I was just like, David, <laughs> like, let's, it was like, because I think it, there was something that, that hooked it into something that was happening currently, but I was just like, why don't you write about this? And yet it was a great article, but I always feel like, I was like, that was a, you know, that was, I, I made him do that. Um, that but was it's a, a time, honestly. Yes! That was a time. <laughs> I, yeah. Of all the times that we had in the 90s, that was definitely one of them, for sure. That's why I made sure uh, to prepare for this. I found the VHS like trailers that came before Life is a House. Because I'm like, this I need to immerse myself. This is one of myself. my YouTube obsessions. Yeah, I... 
Well, first of all, I was like trying to find out like what particular VHS I had that had like the Life is a House trailer before it. I couldn't figure that out. So I'm like, I'll just watch the trailers that were before Life is a House. And it was a great decision because I learned a- apparently that there was a-, a Jake Gyllenhaal, Jared Leto movie I've never heard of. Wait, oh, I've this? seen I've seen that on like late night HBO when I was younger and I could never yeah. remember. Um, but Jake Gyllenhaal is like uh, like a like a tweaker kid or something like that, right? He's sort of... Yeah, it's so weird. And Selma Blair is there. It's called Highway. And it's Jared yeah. Leto is like the sexy pool boy having sex with the uh, the rich lady or something like that. Am I mistaken? I couldn't tell you that from the trailer because <laughs> all these trailers, of course, had like that really schizophrenic editing, which should I say schizophrenic? Probably not. That really frantic editing, um, you know... Yes. Okay, wait, I want to back up, though, because this is a phenomenon that I'm not aware of. Can you go on YouTube and find a specific movie and watch whatever trailers yeah. were before that on the VHS? I have these before, and it oh, is, yeah, definitely. that is a time I of, like, okay. the reel of trailers. And, like, there's always one really shitty one that they slip in there, but you have <laughs> fully iconic VHS trailers to things. This is where I was, like, my mind went to with, um, when you mentioned R-rated movies you weren't allowed to see. I remember my first Red Band trailer oh, when I was Oh, specifically. What it was, was it? to this movie called Mute Witness, which I have never oh seen. You that probably title know sounds the familiar poster. to me. You know the poster because it's like it's a woman's face and it's kind of blurry and it has witness underneath her mouth, <laughs> but mute is sewn into her mouth. Very scary poster. Don't remember okay. why it was a red band trailer, but like when you would normally have the green logo, I remember explicitly the first time that I saw it in bold red. Or maybe it was I remember mute witness, but it was a movie like Mute Witness, and I've conflated them. <laughs> but I don't like, know if I it was that from VHS. I don't know if it was my first Red Band trailer, but I very clearly remember seeing the Red Band trailer for David Cronenberg's Crash, because it yeah. was uh, uh, Holly Hunter exposes her breast in in it in the scene in it, and I remember being like, "Oh, this is why. This is why." Uh, we're not allowed to see these <laughs> things in theaters. And I was very... I wonder um, what movie that was attached to. I would be... Fat- well, now that you've... I, I I believe you when you say you've sent these to me, but, like, I probably missed it because this would have... This absolutely would have been a rabbit hole I would have tumbled down because it, it has the potential... so much of your time, honestly. Yeah. And it, like, and has I also, the- in fairness, terrorize you with you different do. videos, links, and such throughout every day. I wake up, I sometimes like wake up to just some first thing in the morning and I'm just like, oh, this is nice. Um, But it also has the potential for being like a real Rosetta Stone of just like, this is why I think about this movie all the time for no good reason. This is why I saw the I Am Sam trailer so many times yesterday. Oh my God. Oh my God, yes, because this would have been attached because this was also a New Line movie um, Mm -hmm. and so was I Am Sam. I remember from the real of... We were a Drop Dead Fred household. We rented Drop Dead Fred all the time. And I remember we would have to fly through the VHS trailers because they're attached to Drop Dead Fred, a movie for children and um, high people. Right. Um, had some absolutely terrifying trailer attached to it. And I can't remember what it was. But oh. as a child, it terrified me. Worth looking up later on. Uh, there, there was one of these, uh, you know, 
I'll watch that one day trailers. I actually, my brother and I, we ended up watching like a few years ago. So it was uh, the feature film Telling You, which was ahead of the She's All That trailer. And it uh-huh. starred Peter Facinelli, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Matthew Lillard, and Dash Myhock. So wow. in the tra- yeah. In the trailer, it looks like a fun romp, you know, with Peter Facinelli and Jennifer Love Hewitt and Matthew Lillard doing his Matthew Lillard thing. Right. And so we were like, one day we'll watch that movie. And then we did. And it was not what was sold to us at all. It was a very oh, no. boring movie where Dash Myhock, bless his heart, was the lead. Um, oh wow it's just not at all in the advertisements for and it and it just didn't happen it just not it did not happen and i'm just like this is this literally was not the movie we were sold and it's clear that it was one of those things like after the fact where oh so they were pushing like jennifer love hewitt and matthew Lillard because they had hit right pretty much because there's so little of them in the movie that era we can't we can't get too far down to where we'll never emerge from this rabbit hole. But like that era of teen horror slash the WB is like deserves to have a twelve part docu series on it of just like ex- examining what the culture was at that point, like the different the cultural influence of the Scream Two poster where they were in a triangle. Yeah, like the fact that like it literally you can trace it all back to literally it's Scream. And it's Dawson's Creek and everything just sort of like branched out from there. And it was like a full, like almost a decade's worth of films. And now it's all stuff that doesn't get made anymore. Like she's all that. There's what's the market for she's all that these days. It shows up on Netflix, I guess. Like there mm-hmm. is no such to thing. all the boys I loved before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Okay. So um, to pivot uh, Latoya from your Oscar origin story, you, uh, you came to us with Life as a House as a movie you wanted to talk about and talk a little bit about what made you select that one. So, you know, after uh, that year's Oscars, I was like a serious cinephile, as we, as we know. I hadn't seen Traffic, but, you know, I'd seen some stuff. Yeah. I, I watched the Oscars. <laughs> I, I knew things now. I knew that Kevin Klein was a serious actor. So I'm like, yeah, right. th- this is the movie. I was like thinking about it. Like, did I have a, a Hayden Christensen phase? And I didn't. But then uh, again, as we were talking about briefly, uh, I, I fell in love with Ian Somerhalder here. The most beautiful <laughs> man I'd ever seen at, uh, at that point, I was 13 years old. I, it would, I, I, I would take me to the next year till I was, cause the next, the year after this is the rules of attraction, which was, when I first noticed Ian Summerhold, even though I definitely saw Life as a House, but maybe it wasn't until uh, VHS a little bit later. But yeah, so I left on him here and I couldn't see the rules of attraction, obviously, until right. like, a couple years later. And like one of my friends and I, like we, we became obsessed. Uh, I don't think I've ever said this before, but I, ha- I definitely ha- developed a, like a, a Brett Easton Ellis phase. So Oh, it <laughs> happens to the best of us. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I I read um I I read oh, far l- later on than I probably should have I read that weird um sequel to American Psycho that he wrote um about maybe fifteen years ago I don't know maybe not that long called Luna uh, Luna Park uh, and Luna Park. yeah I read yeah that one. and not good but like i definitely remember being like oh it's all connected like there's a whole like interconnected universes were like obviously very big for me so like i was i was definitely um down with that one for sure if you came of a certain age in the early 2000s or the late 90s it was all about brett easton ellis and interconnected universes and it gave you both (laughs) yeah 
No, that's <laughs> that's not a lie. Um, and then you would go see the Informers uh, in college and be very disappointed in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you would listen to him on podcasts and uh, be even more disappointed. And Yeah, I was subscribed to his podcast for like two seconds, and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't. My blood pressure can only take so much, I swear to God. Like, there's that whole, I mean, this is a whole other wormhole we don't need to go down, but just like... um gay men of a certain age who were used to being very outrageous in their moment and then feels like they've been chasing the drug of scandalizing people mm-hmm. for so long that they like lost the thread on like what and i feel like that's there's a, like brett easton ellis dan savage to a degree andrew sullivan certainly like that like all the really curdled uh gay men around that same age where it's just like well you can't freak out the squares just by like kissing your boyfriend anymore so now you've really got to like up it to the next level and it's become just a real problem just a real big old problem (laughs) yeah um but life as a house as it turns out has a very specific sort of uh uh oscar buzz thing we don't even really have to gin it up too much because like hayden christensen came wildly close to an oscar nomination before he ever stepped onto a screen as anakin skywalker like while he was mm-hmm. still just the name in the headline for most people when he was announced uh in may of 2001 as the actor who won the anakin sweepstakes it was all these like big name actors uh and also jonathan brandis i remember uh like this whole like who's gonna be anakin and it was this mostly unknown Canadian actor who I think was on like a Fox family show. Higher ground. Okay. That was Fox family at the time or something like that. Right. Obviously it aired wherever in Canada, but then like Fox family here. Right. 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 Um, And that was like a family sort of uh, seventh heaven maybe, but like less religious. Is there a different uh, Fox Family show that was on? Because Higher Ground is the one where they're like at the boot camp for bad kids. Oh, see, I, I had no familiarity with it. So um, um, I would suggest you um, watch the opening theme to Higher Ground. Which is just, <laughs> it's not so much singing as a lot of, <laughs> what is it? Just guttural sounds. Oh, no. Oh, God. Like the Survivor opening theme song? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Okay. It's, well, it's great. I'm definitely checking that out. Absolutely. Um 100%. Once we get on the other side of the plot description, I want to talk about the Entertainment Weekly cover with Hayden Christensen on it after they We'll get into him. that. Um for sure. But um I think There's also bef- just like the veneer of a certain type of Oscar movie. I think after American Beauty won Best Picture, movies like this mm-hmm. like had a certain eye on them, especially if they had casts that included people like Kevin Klein. There's so much post American Beauty to this movie. Like, I, yeah, I like I said, I hadn't watched it since I was a teen, and I think I wa- I watched this definitely before I ever watched American Beauty. So, like, mm. rewatching it now, I'm like, holy American Beauty. Yes, yes, especially in the Jenna Malone character, but oh, also god. like, I, oh god, we, we will get into uh, everything. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah. so let's 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 get the plot description out of the way because we're coming up on a half hour into it, as has become our 
new tradition. <laughs> um, but uh, Latoya, we're going to ask you to do a 60 second plot description. Uh, Chris, do you have your phone near you? Because my phone's on the other side of the room. And uh... Uh, I will use my quick time timer. Awesome. All right, so uh, we're going to be talking about Life as a House today, the 2001 film Life as a House, directed by Erwin Winkler, written by Mark Andrus, starring Kevin Klein, Hayden Christensen, Kristen Scott Thomas, Jenna Malone, Mary Steenburgen, Ian Somerhalder, Scott Bakula, Jamie Sheridan, and uh, Sam Robards. This premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2001 before opening limited, I believe, on October 26, 2001, and then went wide a few weeks later. It didn't come to much uh regardless latoya do you think you're ready to do a 60 second plot description for life as a house no because this was not the one thing i did not meticulously plan for <laughs> <laughs> winging it is a proud this had oscar buzz tradition so uh do as not worry I about it to do all right your 60 second plot description for life as a house starts now Kevin Klein is George, a man who we are told is miserable, but really is just more of a menace. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. He is currently living in a shack situation in a rich cul-de-sac. I don't know how that works. Um, his ex-wife is Kristen Scott Thomas, who is always cooking food. Uh, their child is uh, an emo little bitch played by Hayden Christensen. Uh, he's very angry. He hates the world. He hates himself. He wears makeup. So, you know, he's edgy. Um, Hayden Christensen is... God damn it. <laughs> Christensen <laughs> is uh, a problem child and uh, Kevin Klein learns he has cancer and he's dying in a few months. So he decides he's going to take Hayden Christensen to go build a house uh, for the summer. And then they hate each other, but they love each other. And then Kristen Scott Thomas and Kevin Klein reunite. And then Kevin Klein dies and becomes a house, I guess. Yeah, it really does kind of become a house. He becomes a house and there's a voiceover. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> that was not the movie they gave us. <laughs> I guess he does like that's uh, time, by the way, I guess he does kind of become the house because as the house builds itself, he is deteriorating and withering away. And everybody is so concerned about how thin and frail he looks. And it's really just like he is like squinting or like they maybe like becomes some blanched makeup. There's some, like, Grandmother Willow action happening there, where, like, all of a sudden it's just, like, he becomes the, like, sturdy structure that will, you know, lord over this family for a while and ultimately do good things. Because the end of the movie is they give the house away to this weird shoehorned-in subplot about his father was the a drunk driver. last-second plot every, twist of a movie. Every Forgot time that. they added more information about his father, I'm like, enough! Why, why are we keep? We, I fully we, we expected worse and worse. Right. I fully expected at one point being like my father went on a killing spree in Iowa in 1982. And it was just like, well, it's just like more information and more information. Um, oh, There's so much. There's so many odd little. But you mentioned the cul-de-sac and I want to talk about that maybe first because the economics of it and the sort of logistics of it baffled me because the only explanation for that shack still being at that like prime billion dollar real estate with like the cliffs overlooking the pacific ocean where you could see clear to santa barbara or whatever and it's just like okay yeah it's like imagine someone living in a porter potty outside renata klein's house right basically (laughs) right right where it's just like it's yeah you're on barbara streisand's lot and it's just like and and the only thing that makes sense is well that was there first before all this stuff 
built up around it. And like, A, that even strains credulity because like that view has existed forever. So like that's been valuable property for a bajillion years. But also when the, when these sort of big, wealthy like uh, developments build up and there's a house there, those houses get bought out or taken out from under them by like chicanery or whatever. And everything we know about Kevin Klein's character is like up until he got diagnosed with cancer, he didn't give a shit. So it doesn't make any sense that he would have like held on to this house through buyout offers and, you know, um, underhanded tactics or whatever. And he's been like, a thorn in the side of his neighbors for all these years who like clearly hate them. I love the old couple who to me is uh, an approximation of the old couple in what about Bob who like keep like rowing their rowboat past and like spitting raspberries at Richard Dreyfuss's house. Um, my favorites in what about Bob, but like none of that made sense. And so all already off the top of my head, I'm like, Oh, this is a very screenwritery movie. Like the whole movie in its yeah. concept felt very, very, screenwritery and like mark andrus who's the the uh writer who was oscar nominated for writing the as good as it gets script um if you look at his filmography and if you look at erwin winkler's filmography it's all very um like like punch clock work sort of right where Mm -hmm. like nothing feels like it's this like big personal project or whatever and so so much of this movie to me felt like it grew out from an idea of just like, what if you were diagnosed with cancer and you only had four months to live? <laughs> what if and cancer? Like, and like, what would you do? And somebody would just be like, I'd repair my broken relationship with my son and also my wife. And another person was like, no, I would like uh, focus on professional accomplishments. And another person was like, I would like stop and smell the roses. And then Erwin Winkler stepped in and was just like, all of it. Do all of it, all of it at once. All of it and a house. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I also have questions about how he's building this house because, of course, this is a stop and smell the roses movie. So in the first act of the movie, Kevin Klein has to get fired. He works at an architecture firm, but like you would have to assume that he is some has some type of architectural acumen to build a house on the side right. of a cliff. Right, but. Uh, he really you really only see him function at his job as like a miniature artist like he builds the miniatures of the buildings that they will build and like they're pushing him to be faster and they're like we could do this all with a computer and then he gets fired so like this is a movie that has in the early 2000s that is either about the internet or computers (laughs) taking over um so it's like he bashes all of these models. Which and... is psychotic. And I was already, yeah. already, I already, like I said in the description, he's a menace. Uh, at the beginning where yeah. he's just like being a dick to Mary Steenbridge. And I'm like, this is not okay. And then like when they later say, oh, they used to date and it was a whole thing. And like, okay, maybe I can expect it. Like his dog, as much as I love a cute dog, that dog needed to behave and it did not. And you know what? I was not appreciating the scamp behavior. 
No, it's true. For as much as the Sam Robards character is supposed to be like, he's the designated irredeemable dick of the movie. He's the only person who starts off a villain and remains a villain. Everybody else gets sort of like usurped into this great work project where like Mary Steenburgen starts hammering nails and Jamie Sheridan comes around and the mean old couple from What About Bob comes around. And (laughs) Sam Robards is the only one who not only does he never come around, he threatens legal action. And at the end, the movie pulls this like Trump card from its back pocket and just like you're the guy trolling for underage dick in the parking lot at night and it's just like that's our solution let's not forget ian summerhalder is a pimp pimp, for lack of a better word he and he's trying to get hayden christensen to uh be one of his progeny and is like it's only i was very confused how long this would take at one point he said it would be a half hour one time he said it would be like three hours yeah Um, yes like he said three hundred dollars for two hours and i'm like that's the longest blowjob I've ever heard of in my I entire life. I think that would be multiple clients is the three hour situation. The half hour is just the one client. I, I see. I see. So Not that I know how his uh, pimping enterprise works. <laughs> right. They didn't really uh, d- uh, delve into the economics of Ian Somerhalder's uh, uh, work situation. Okay. But like this and- brings up another sort of like big sticking point for me in the movie, which is the way this movie deals with Hayden Christensen's character as uh, gay adjacent in a way mm-hmm. that felt like the movie was going to use all of the gay boogeymen, but never actually make him queer so that like they could have their cake and eat it too. And it really bugged me. It really bothered me. Yeah. Well, that is incredibly era specific too, because there was like a whole thing, I think, especially if you were growing up too, that the goth crowds were gay. And it's because they like, it, there would be vague androgyny to it. There was makeup. There was like the whole Marilyn Manson side of it, which it's like right. uh, Hayden Christensen only listens to Marilyn Manson, apparently. <laughs> like that's how they let us know that he's. <laughs> edgy and bad he has multiple marilyn manson posters in his uh room and yet even by this time no go go ahead ahead. i was gonna say he's also like vaguely sexually deviant like the movie opens with him huffing spray paint and uh engaging in auto auto erotic asphyxiation while jerking off in his closet right and he's got the piercing and he's got the makeup and he's got the the blue streak in his hair. And the the other thing was the Kevin Klein character, his big early part of the movie thing is like, I'm going to take my son, I'm going to live with him, and I'm essentially going to straighten him out. And whether what mm-hmm. straighten him out means this, the movie is sort of very vague on, but like what the Klein character is adamant about is that he takes that thing out of his chin and he stops wearing makeup and he essentially just like stops dressing like half a fag essentially and mm-hmm. and that's the thing that he never comes around on that he never meets his son halfway there he never says mm-hmm. i was making too big of a deal of this or whatever like that becomes sort of canon inside the sh- the movie that like hayden christensen's character by the end we know he's come around a because he's been able to be like emotionally honest with his parents and he does the right thing with the house and whatever but also that Stud stays out of his chin and the makeup never comes back. And he's essentially a more normal looking kid. And I hated that. Do you Mm -hmm. want to know what's bizarre? And of course they don't address it because they don't do this 
character or actress uh, any service. Mary Steenburgen's the only one who accepts in Christensen's character as he yes. Is. She doesn't judge him at all for looking that. like that. She, like, like even Jenna Malone is like, you yeah. look better without makeup. Yeah. It's like, shut up, Jenna Malone. You're supposed to be open-minded. <laughs> okay. Can, can we talk about Jenna Malone real quick? Yes. Yeah, please. we maybe have to get into it to just like get it out there. We need to like have this exorcism. So I think the writing is bad for her character, obviously. Yes. But I also think Jenna Malone is... I, th- I think she's bad in it, too. This was before I mean, she like, got good, I think. Yeah. I, I'm just like, right. I'm like, I don't know if I just hate this character and it's writing so much or she's bad. And I'm like, no, she's she's bad, too. And she was also 16 when they shot this movie. Wow. Having a shower scene with Hayden Christensen, who was an adult, and having like a makeout session with Kevin Kline. Yeah. And, the, and uh, she was 16 was filming this movie. I, I saw that, what was it, like, Lindsay Lohan was thought up for the role, but they said they wanted older. They didn't go much older, did they? No, they really I, didn't. I mean, like, I was kind of mortified reading that because Lindsay Lohan would have been 14 yeah. at the time. And, like, were they really, like, how bad was this that they were thinking that they would even read or consider a 14-year-old for these scenes? Like... <laughs> But it, but for as like that was the part of the movie where obviously that's the most that I'm thinking of American Beauty at that moment, where like that character Mm -hmm. is very clearly written to be the like teenage sexually liberated. We don't have to worry about sexualizing her because she's sexualizing herself. Like all of this stuff straight from American Beauty, and I'm like at the at the very least, American Beauty made that stuff feel dangerous. Whereas, like, Life as a House just, like, incorporates it into its, like, general cute and homey vibe. Where just, like, that whole scene is played off as being, at worst, awkward, and at best, like, kind of nice. It's so It's so weird, because... Awful. I can't tell what her character wants. Does her character want Kevin Klein as her dad, or does she want to fuck Kevin Klein? Right. And she doesn't want Hayden Christensen at all. Because like, I think she just wants like. to piss off her mom, which made it even worse. Well, and then later on, towards the end, when uh, when Hayden Christensen goes over to the house and he's sad because he finds out his dad's dying, and Mary Steenburgen's like, "I don't think you should be. You two should uh, stay up in your room overnight." And Jenna Malone's like, well, I don't think you should have had sex with Ian Somerhalder. And I'm like, Jenna Malone, A, you're like, he's like three down the depth chart in terms of like people you care about (laughs) romantically at this point. You've already like made out with Kevin Klein across the street. You're really going to give your mom shit about like getting some with the future kid from Lost? Like, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) It's written so strangely. It's, it's so... Ugh, frustrating. It's, I mean... It's bad melodrama. I think there are some good performances in this movie. I think Klein is good. I actually think Hayden Christensen's really good in this at playing that type Ooh, of a man. teen. I do. I think, I think Hayden's good in this, which is why I'm like, this... It's why you would think he would be good as Anakin Skywalker right. as they they write right. him. Right. And mm-hmm. for directing reasons, like, that's not the case. The pr- the problems were twofold with Anakin Skywalker is a it takes a really good actor to be able to say that dialogue and not sound to bitch ridiculous about right <laughs> and like and he was not there and b I, there's a difference between an actor playing a credible 
bratty teen who's like working through his teenage emotions and can't express himself articulately and just sort of like ends up being uh, generally very difficult versus and and then who like who grows out of that to be like whatever like just a guy he's just whatever versus a bratty teen who can't articulate his emotions who grows up to be the most powerful villain in the history of the galaxy and it's just like that was the you know the bridge too far for the star wars movies but yeah i actually do think he's in the scenes where he's called upon to be emotional in this i think it tracks i think that stuff uh really tracks and i think that's why the the scenes with him and klein together i think largely work even though i'm grossed out by the weird like gay adjacent politics of it yeah mm-hmm. that part's bullshit but like i really do appreciate how like you can tell like like his his whole thing is performative. Like he's clearly in a lot of pain, and he has a lot of issues that they should probably address uh, with something more than house building. But okay, right, right. <laughs> but like you can you can just tell like when every time he tries to be strong and like you know tough, like just how much of an act it is. Why he's like I'm not, I don't even care, and then he like immediately starts sobbing once his dad leaves the room. Yeah. Well, the scene where Kevin Klein finally tells him that he's got cancer, and his reaction is essentially. I can't believe you made me care about you just in time for me to have to like watch you die now. Like that, that pain translated to me. Mm -hmm. Like I thought that translated Mm -hmm. pretty well. So I thought I wanted to be as invested in the Kevin Klein, Kristen Scott Thomas stuff. And I wasn't quite, even though I really like her a lot, but I I don't like her too. Yeah. Cause I think it's, it's like the bullshit of like, you're not telling her you're dying and you're waiting so long to do that. And yeah. also, all she's doing in this movie is cooking food. <laughs> <laughs> or just bringing pizza over. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. California pizza kitchen at that. <laughs> it remind, It made me think of the sort of the post-English patient run for Kristen Scott Thomas. Where, like, American audiences knew her if you watched British stuff. She was in Four Weddings and a Funeral, obviously. She's mm-hmm. the best in that. And then she's Oscar-nominated for The English Patient, and that was, like, this big sort of launch pad. And then I think Hollywood decided, oh, we're going to start casting her opposite our, like, great leading men. And so she's opposite Robert Redford in The Horse Whisperer and Harrison Ford in Random Hearts and Kevin Klein in this. And none of it works and I think it's because all three of those movies are more concerned with her co-stars mm-hmm. than with her. And it's just like you have this really like specific kind of a talent who's like is going to waste playing the love interest opposite these, you know, these men. And I think it wasn't until she started getting supporting roles again that things got, you know, more interesting, whether it was like gosford park or mm-hmm. um what's that one where she the gosling movie where she plays donatella versace um <laughs> only god forgives right only god forgives and like or oh she was in this one movie with isla fisher um where it's like confessions of a shopaholic or something like oh that, that right, movie where she's the miranda Priestley, of and she's very funny is. in that i think she's mm-hmm. really good in that yeah so, she also had um, the French movie I've Loved You So Long that she was right. almost nominated for. I don't know. I maybe disagree with you guys on her in this movie. I liked 
and I kind of especially appreciated the understated energy that she brought to it. And it made me believe her as a character more that like everyone around her is so loudly expressive that like (laughs) she can't always express her emotions. She may not be able to even hear her emotions and like understand what her feelings are because everyone around her is either a pest or a brat. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I think basically it's like she's good, but I think both she and Mary Steenburgen are underserved, but like she can just kind of make it work. And it's just like so easy for her. Whereas Mary Steenburgen, I'm just like, give us, we like, we need more scenes for that character or just don't have her at all. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I remember at the time being like, Oh my God, we are failing Mary Steenburgen when this movie came out that like casts her as the next door floozy. Um, and we, ha- we have come around to appreciating actress songwriter Mary Steenburgen, and she is getting at least, uh, if not better roles in movies, like things that at least showcase her more, like Happiest Season. Yeah. Her, well, I, I guess iPad. Oh yeah. my God, that giant <laughs> iPad, that menace the iPad of an has iPad. The size of the house. Life but, as an iPad. <laughs> life as an iPad. <laughs> Um, but this was the era where, like, that's what Mary Steenburgen kept getting cast in because she was also the next door floozy in Gilbert Grape, if you remember. And mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, I guess this is sort of just like what Hollywood had pigeonholed Mary Steenburgen in at that moment. But um, I want to U-turn back to Christensen for a second because I do want to bring up this Entertainment Weekly cover where mm-hmm. he had been announced, like I said, in May of 2001 as being the Anakin Skywalker selection. And this Entertainment Weekly issue is from July, and it's the It List. Remember, they would do the, the It List. The It List. May it mm-hmm. rest in peace. So, and it was just like, it was essentially just like a giant listicle of just like what publicists are doing their jobs in Hollywood and getting their clients on the It List. <laughs> and it's all, but it's like the things that I appreciate, especially revisiting old EW covers for, we've talked about the fall preview issues before and how that's a fantastic way to look at what was you know, big and major going into the Oscar seasons. But like the it list is this too, where, um, so I want to read the sidebar of where it tells you who's going to be featured in this. So it's Hayden Christensen gets the big headline. He's on the cover holding the, uh, the Darth Vader mask. The other ones are Tom Green, which <laughs> this has got to be like Freddie Got Fingered era, right? <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure Freddie Got Fingered was 2001. Right. So Tom Tom Green Show, Freddie Got Fingered, dating Drew Barrymore, that whole thing. The next one is Mina Suvari. So, like, obviously the post-American Beauty thing is Mm -hmm. still sort of, like, thick in the air at this point. Mina Suvari, Jason Biggs, which American Pie 2 was coming out this year, which I remember because that's the film that they see in Remember Me, secret 9-11 movie, Remember Me. So that's <laughs> how I always... Did the feature film Loser come out or was it about to come out? Loser was before this. Uh, yeah, I think sure. Loser's 99 maybe? No, just, maybe Loser's what, 2000. Okay. Yeah. I, think, I think it's 2000 actually, yeah. I just want to address about Loser, the thing no one ever addresses is that... Um, casual date rape is a plot and no one is taken to task about that his roommates are just like date rapists and they're like this is great and i don't think they are ever punished for that 
Amy Heckerling, what are you doing? This is our second episode in the last three that we've talked about the film Loser, actually, and about how wild it is, because it's also, um, we, as we said before, a movie about how a guy in college is friends with three people who hate his guts. And <laughs> that's so weird. It's such a weird Isn't there dynamic. Is a vet clinic in that movie? It's very yes. possible. Is that where Mina Suvari works, maybe? Yes. I think so. I feel I that's like a classic. They, they, they steal some drugs from there, too, I believe. Oh, my God. Worst. Oh, boy. So uh, is Biggs. It's uh, Famke Jansen of X-Men, it says. so. Wow. Oh, okay, we sweet. have not uh, properly given uh, Famke Jansen the chances she deserves. It's absolutely true. Agreed. She's fantastic. We love her. Uh, Macy Gray. Hand on my heart, Macy Gray. God Obviously, bless. I try was uh, was new and wonderful. Penelope Cruz, which we've talked about, how this was this um, is the woman on top here. This is the woman on top here. This is Blow. This is mm-hmm. Vanilla Sky. Is at the end of this year. So like, they were really trying it with Penelope. They were the effort was uh, significant there for sure. Um, again, this is a list for publicists and good for her publicist. The next one is vitamin C. I think oh, this is yeah. Dracula <laughs> 2000's vitamin C. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I graduated college in 2002 and not 2001 means I escaped um, vitamin C's friends forever being uh, nostalgically imprinted on me by like <laughs> one year because I remember how much Green Day's time of your life was imprinted on me because I graduated high school in 1998. So, like, that is a real thing. Like, if you have a heavy nostalgia song or, like, a heavy sentiment song that is in the culture the year you graduate high school or graduate college, either one of them, like, it will stick with you forever. And it'll you'll be so mad at yourself for, like, why does this song make me emotional? And it's just like, god damn it. I used to hate vitamin C's graduation. Now Pen15 has made me love everything <laughs> vitamin C. I won't say what grade that this was for, but, like, it came out as I was moving from one grade to another. And you know how you would have, like, three (laughs) minutes between classes to get to your next class? They played it the final day of school between every period of class. It was the most psychotic exercise I've ever (laughs) been submitted to. Traumatizing. Um, So on the Empire Diaries, which is my Vampire Diaries rewatch podcast, we just recorded the season four finale, which is Graduation. So um, <laughs> we definitely sang some vitamin C multiple times during the episode because our our, our new bit is um, singing throughout season four of Vampire Diaries to keep sane. <laughs> it's it, few people. I like these single service celebrities who are like famous for just one thing. Although you did mention Dracula 2000. And I'm glad we're, we're rounding out the vitamin C uh, I mean, portrait of yeah. fame. But, I also have to mention, of course, my beloved uh, cover from Vitamin C of uh, What a Night uh, for the WB's image campaign. Okay, so Latoya, <laughs> we need to commemorate this. This is why I wanted to bring up this it list, because this is the era of of fame that that WB Oh What a Night uh, promo commemorates. You and my old uh, decider co-worker, Josh Sorokac, uh, are the two people who most intensely have discussed that promo on Twitter. And whenever you do, I like jump in on that with a quickness because it is so 
important, <laughs> like that era of the WB. Again, 12-part docuseries, Netflix, just find a way to do it. Find an angle. I don't I mean, care. Yes, I will be a talking head. Uh, obviously, I need to yes. help chronicle this. this is- and in that promo, of course, you have the Young Americans cast who are like off in their own little room separate from everyone, which of course includes Ian Somerhalder and Kate Bosworth. The, the, the number of shows that you forget were a thing back then that you were like, oh, right, Jamie Foxx had a show on the WB at that time where it's him and Garcelle Beauvais and Katie Holmes, who for a while there was dating Jamie Foxx recently. So every time I watched that promo, then I was just like, oh, the, the the early, like, but it's like, but there's always this plausible deniability of like, which ones were actually in the room with each other at this? Like, were the Felicity cast like really mingling? Like, was Shannon Doherty allowed, like, did Shannon Doherty allow anybody like within her vicinity? Well, well from <laughs> my multiple viewings, of course, as an expert on this video, obviously Shannon only interacts with David Boreanaz. I was going to say David love yes. story yep. in the video for some reason um so amy joe johnson and scott foley are there but carrie russell's not actually there they just show footage from season two of felicity right and they show um footage like from season four of buffy for sarah michelle geller like she's not there either she's not there either but like all the other like buffies are are there and mingling yeah 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 well so this brings us to the next person on this list well uh, uh, in a second. Amanda Peet is there. Amanda Peet was having a moment. Yeah. This was... Justice wait. for Amanda Peet at all times. Was Jack and Jill part of that promo, actually? Or no? No. That was a different no. time. Okay. Yeah. Different WB era. Okay. Um, and then the next one, though, is the Girls of Popular. Now, Popular was definitely represented on that WB yes, promo. Yes, uh, The great Leslie Grossman, I have uh, chatted with about that promo several times. She said it was uh, as wild as it seems. Um, I loved popular. I was, I jumped on it after it was on, but like not too far after, like as soon as it became Mm -hmm. available on DVD, I like caught myself up and then joined the like choruses of like, I can't believe this was canceled, even though it's so obvious why it was canceled. Like it's (laughs) It's pretty clear why it was canceled. (laughs) Like if you like, it's Ryan Murphy's sensibility today of just like, what if an old gay man obsessed with like old style camp decided to make a high school drama. And it's so freaking weird, but like Mary, Mary Cherry is one of the greatest like characters of all time. Honestly. Yes, absolutely. This is undeniable. Um, the list closes out with D'Angelo, which this had to have been the, how, how does, does it, feel? it feel? Yeah. Like took, uh, took the nation by storm everybody learned about those particular muscles uh the lower abs and then the list they closes. studied that video in medical school <laughs> <laughs> yes yes uh, anatomy 101 with professor d'angelo and then the list ends with triumph the insult comic dog because apparently we just could not get enough <laughs> the of- most early 2000 thing that we have maybe discussed on this podcast episode so far is triumph the insult comic dog it's a, a moment in time i would say go and uh and f- go and look at old ew covers there's there's a lot to learn for sure but back yeah. to the also, movie what else do we want to say about the movie what else can we can we talk about uh the summer holder steam virgin plot yes because it's so it, i did remember that that was one of the things i did remember but it seems like so abbreviated and i feel like we don't have Steenburgen's motivation. I understand he's very beautiful. I understand this. Yes. But like, what is she feeling that is like, I should probably fuck my daughter's boyfriend? <laughs> right. 
who is maybe a nefarious character who maybe I shouldn't let my daughter uh, hang out with this person, but right. maybe I'll have sex with him. I but think it's, it's more of a, like, this is how this movie is so much of a product of its time. I think it is also, like, that whole tryst, whatever, like, this is the, 2001 is like the emergence of the MILF, right? Because of American Pie, right? Jennifer Coolidge. Mm-hmm. And like this feels like this feels like a movie that was so clearly written in 1999 because yes. like the influences are obviously yes. this person saw American Beauty and saw American Pie, all of the America movies. Right. <laughs> um, and also the Cider House rules because it was about a house. Yes. Yes. And they said, what Life if a movie a cider house? What if a movie was about a house? <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> Um, I, I, I want to say that I do have a soft spot for movies that take this, like, it takes a village approach to things, like, as it goes along, and all of a sudden, everybody starts to, like, pull together to build this house, and I'm just like, for as much- Except in this movie, the version of that is so stupid. (laughs) Yes, it's incredibly stupid, and yet, I'm watching it, and I'm just like, aw, they're all helping. (laughs) Like, they're just all doing their own little things, even though in reality, it's it would be like that Simpsons episode where they all decide to rebuild Flanders' house. And it's like misshapen and the hallway like low, like narrows into yeah. like the size of a thimble and whatever. And it's just like a the nightmare. The house would not look that good. No, it wouldn't. I absolutely believe that the set for this movie was lifted as like in a perfect form from a crane onto the side of that mountain and then they just have some background extras and Jenna Malone and Mary Steenburgen and like tip tapping a hammer against a pole. <laughs> right. We, like this is not see, built on this mountain. We never see anyone do any measurements for this house. <laughs> it's true. Or like I think one point you see Kevin Klein's character with a level, but it's just like for half a second and like that's about it. And yeah, and they're also working with like this heavy duty machinery. Like at one point they start using that uh, bandsaw that you like pull down onto something. And I'm just like, A, where did you rent that? And like, B, you're doing that with like toddlers <laughs> running around. <laughs> like, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, the the health inspector must. Okay. Also, we need to pay attention to the fact that one of Kristen Scott Thomas and Jamie Sheridan's kids is the bratty one who's Aaron Brockovich's kid in Aaron Brockovich, the one who's oh, wow. like mean to her, the the little blonde little shit who calls Hayden Christensen a queer to his mm-hmm. face, which super triggered me as a gay older brother. And like, I don't want to talk about it, but I'm just saying. So as I texted Chris, I said, Julia Roberts did not raise that son on a single mother's uh, law firm salary to call his brother a queer. <laughs> you little brat. But the other one was cute. The littler one was cute, I thought. The one that goes and hugs Kevin Klein. Yeah, Yeah, yes. The one who's not fucked up. Yes, the one who actually has a chance in this life. I liked that. I did appreciate that. Also, the music in this movie is insane. We talked about Marilyn Manson. But the fact that, again... Guster, man. Guster. Marilyn Manson and Guster and the emo version of Both Sides Now that is in Love Actually... And uh, rearranged by Limp Biscuit, all sort of like coexisting on this nightmare soundtrack, which I just I, don't get the rhyme or reason to it. I think for Guster, and the dog is named the Guster. The dog by is the also way. named Guster! 
was Isn't crazy. It that, uh, Mark Andrus, the writer, was just a fan of Guster. He had to have been somebody. Somebody in some process was somebody at New Line. Mark was Andrus like, you know something. who I love is fucking Guster. Um, yeah. So I, I I remember that I I didn't remember specifically until all of a sudden like what you wish for starts playing. I'm like, oh yeah, that's where this song is from. I think I started like listening to Guster because of this movie. <laughs> You know what's the biggest outrage of all is if you go and watch the Life is a House trailer, there's no big pop song in it, which is a betrayal of the movie trailers it's of that be era. Like a Thomas Newman score, right? Or one of the billion trailers that has like the Shawshank Redemption score. But it's right? not even it's not even a recognizable piece of score. Like if it's from something, Mark Isham did the music for this movie, and I don't know whether he did the music for the trailer also, but it's very nondescript trailer music too. Like it's I the fact that that yeah. trailer didn't end with Chantal Kreviazic singing something is outrageous to me. Like Missed opportunity. <laughs> Like oh, she, her singing, it feels like home to me. Would have been perfect for the trailer. <laughs> exactly, because it feels like a home. Yes. Um, what was life the trailer? Life feels like a home. What's the trailer <laughs> that has Nina Gordon's tonight and for the rest of my life? I always oh, uh, damn it! It's I something. Know this. It's something that uh, I have watched frequently. I'm just like <laughs> I, I know this. And Somebody like, listening, like just blurt it out and and let the chips fall where they may and explain to the person you're with why you're blurting out whatever uh the answer to this is but i will figure it out what trailer has nina gordon's uh, uh that was so, that was a moment so for all of the things i forgot about this movie because it wasn't too much but there like i forgot that ian summerholder was a pimp i guess um, <laughs> right i forgot about the the weird scene with his nurse yeah. And oh, yeah. Where he's hitting on his nurse. Back. Yeah. 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 He so, hits on his nurse, and she. He's like, I haven't been he- touched by a person in years, and she just like is receptive. Him, his yeah. Face. But then also, she shows up at the end when he's like dying. Yes. Which yeah. Which is like that's two different wings of the hospital that she works <laughs> right. on. Right. So when I was watching this again, not remembering the scene at all, I'm like, what the fuck is this? I literally wrote in my notes like whose like wife is this because it was such a weird scene and and it, it turned out it's Erwin Winkler's uh, daughter-in-law. Oh, well there we go. Perfectly. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. Cuz the perfect sound. It was so much just like this this person is related to someone. Not not a knock on her her acting, but like the scene did not need to be. Also, back to Summerhalder for half a second. That character through the course of this movie like has sex with Mary Steenburgen, so like good for him but also gets arrested and like literally like they say at one point it's just like he got thrown in jail and then um falls off a roof and according to kevin klein's character (laughs) broke his leg his wrist and his ribs or something like that i was just like it sounded some fingers broken as well and one of the kid was like do i is that his bone and i'm like He's got a compound fucking fracture? Like, what the fuck happened to this son of a bitch? (laughs) It wasn't that high. No, but like, goddammit, he really hit that ground with a thud. But again, and if that was the case... We know exactly how high it is because this movie tells us multiple times that his permit is for the house to be 25 feet tall. Also, that house now officially belongs to that kid's parents because they're going to sue the fuck out of Kevin Klein. Why isn't that part of the movie? I know it's like two hours already, but like... Give us more. Yes. Okay, we also have to spell out the last beat of the movie because who the house eventually belongs to is insane. This is like the last 60 seconds of movie. It tells us that Kevin Klein's dad 
like well, no, had they, a they a did tell heart. tell the story. He did tell the story when one of the many escalating stories about how terrible his father was. Right. Yes, one of the many, and it's like buried in there. But then it becomes this final sixty second reveal that the house is being built to give to this woman who her father uh, turned into a quadriplegic. And that he, like, Hayden Christensen tracks her down at the trailer park she lives in, which, like, A, very convenient that, like, she's, you know, living in, you know, rough circumstances or whatever so that he can look like that so this family can look like giant heroes and whatever. And, like, good, I guess, that, like, the movie recognizes that this kid's mom and stepdad are crazy rich anyway, so he kind of doesn't need a house all to himself or whatever overlooking a cliff. By the way, that, like rock slides are a problem and like i'd be nervous living that close to a cliff but whatever um but also when they show that last shot and they pan back or whatever there is a wheelchair ramp on that house and i'm like Mm -hmm. all right who built that one like was kevin klein doing that all along too (laughs) or did like hayden christensen just like wake up in the middle of the night and was just like well now i have this idea and so now i've got to add all these like accessibility because it's not just a ramp like if this woman's gonna live in there this is like a multi-level house that this is going to have to be like many improvements made on this. And the movie, the movie just sort of drops it in there for us at the end. And it's, there's complications. The mo- I don't the know. movie I mean, is absolute Looney Tunes. The movie also forgives uh, the stepdad whose name is Peter and not George, as I assumed it was, <laughs> uh, as he is the reason why that little shit uh, calls Hayden yes. to the queer. And he's like, he's awful. He shouldn't be forgiven for anything. This is why I have a lot of sympathy for the Hayden Christian character, which is goes beyond the fact that I always have sympathy for the gayest seeming character in a movie, but also that like his stepfather clearly like not just hates him, but like isn't shy about saying it. And like by the beginning of the movie seems to have turned his mother against him too. Cause at one point his mother mm-hmm. says to Kevin Klein, like, do you know what it's like to hate your son? And it's just like, you what now? <laughs> like you fully just hate him. And it's just like, uh, that's a bad, that's a bad situation that like, this is why this is goes into why I defend the kid in uh, war of the worlds too, because it's like, yes, when the, from the point that the movie begins to the end, this kid is like a giant brat, but we don't see all the stuff that happens before the movie that turned him that way. Like, I feel like in the grand Mm -hmm. scheme of this kid's life, he's earned becoming the monster that he is at this point. But yeah, he's in war worlds. Tom Cruise is just now becoming a good dad because he has to save his kids because, you know, aliens. Right. Well, and Hayden Christensen's character in this is more just like a brat of the time than any like real thing that he does except for drugs like it really only gives him drugs as right. the thing that he is misbehaving besides just being a teenage brat but it's like the whole fear of goths and such yes. uh, like that just makes him a bad kid it's such a time capsule of like that it's it the movie really uh, adopts kevin klein's sort of fears about what these accoutrements on his son say about his son and also weirdly adopts this thing in the culture at the time, which was all those goth kids that you're talking about, Chris were Mm -hmm. very concerned about being perceived as gay. So like all of these things that had goth characters in them had to also make sure also as violent. Yes, that is true. Cause this is post Columbine. Um, Mm -hmm. But that, like, so many of these things seem to need to make 
sure that the audience knows that like just because he's wearing eyeliner doesn't mean he doesn't want to fuck a girl and it's just the the whole scene in the shower is so weird just like he literally just like points to his dick and just so we all know that his dick is hard it's just like yes we get it he likes girls like Mm -hmm. jesus fucking christ movie also hayden christensen has multiple scenes where people walk in on him in the shower and it's like one of those ones with a full door and he like (laughs) opens it wide and half sticks his body out like oh no go away don't look at my naked body but it's just like you're just putting it all on display dude well but the 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 first one who shows up and he opens the door wide like well, no. What is he supposed to think? The the boundary issues in this movie are like suffused through all of it because there's also the thing about how there's no door in between the toilet and the kitchen in this little mm-hmm. garage shack that they're living in, which ends up being a public health issue. There's also an outdoor shower issue. Like there's also the thing where like Hayden Christensen has padlocked his room shut at his mom's house. Like this movie is so very concerned with again, it's life as a house, so it's just like boundaries, walls, walls. We need walls and here's why we need walls it's crazy uh yeah but the other thing why jenna malone's character is um i've decided is the worst now is because (laughs) so she's doing the shower thing just basically to to test if he's really gay pretty much she's just she's trying to turn him if he Mm -hmm. is gay and yet aren't you trying to fuck his dad like what are you doing like focus like what is what's your objective jenna malone's character like (laughs) what's her deal what is her deal develop a strategy So I want to talk about Hayden Christensen being a SAG nominee and a Golden Globe nominee this year, because like he really like that's rare to get a Golden Globe nomination and a SAG nomination and not get the Oscar nomination is like that's like 15 percent of the time that happens at best, probably. Right. So I want to look at like the rest of the field for those performances at the Globes. He was nominated against. Da, 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 da. Jim Broadbent I won it, for yeah. Iris, which is also he won the Oscar. The Globes nominated Ben Kingsley for Sexy Beast and John Voight for Ali, who are also Oscar nominees. Then Hayden Christensen. Then Steve Buscemi for Ghost World, who also had a lot of momentum that year. That was like, again, speaking of American Beauty, sort of Thora Birch's the next big acclaimed thing after American Beauty. And then Jude Law was nominated for AI Artificial Intelligence, which I think is a great performance that I do mm-hmm. wish was Oscar nominated. And then let me look up the SAGs really quick. I have the SAG one pulled up. SAG, oh. Ian McCullen actually wins SAG for Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Also Ben Kingsley for Sexy Beast, Hayden Christensen for Life as a House, Jim Broadbent for Iris, which I think that was the only major precursor he lost that season. And this is where Ethan Hawke shows up for Training Day. Right, because he would eventually get the Oscar nomination as well. And he didn't really become kind of a talking point until late in the season. And I think it started actually with SAG. Yes, that's right. Because there wasn't enough time even for people to sort of like stop and realize that he's the lead of that movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, oh, right, because all this... All the, like, momentum was on Denzel as lead, but it's just like, oh, right, no, Ethan Hawke is, like, also the lead and, like, even more of the focal point because he's the protagonist in that movie. And he's also great in the movie, too, and that was his first nomination, and he was, like, kind of an underrated actor up to that point, too, and it was the first time he actually got appreciation. Yes, that was, like, a level-up sort of moment for him. So, yeah, it's an interesting year. That lineup never really solidified until the very end at the Oscar. It was in very much flux and that's why so like the only people who got both 
SAG and Golden Globe that year were Broadbent, Kingsley, and Christensen. So, like, he was definitely, you know, favored to get that nomination. And yet there was also that sense of, remember when Mila Kunis got Golden Globe and SAG Mm -hmm. nominations for Black Swan? And people still were just like, yeah, but that's not going to happen. And I think there was sort of that with Hayden Christensen, where they were like, he's still just this little Canadian kid who we don't even know if he's going to be good in Star Wars yet. And And a lot of it is also just, yeah, it's like a curiosity factor because he emerged from relative obscurity to right. land probably the biggest casting uh of that time and there was definitely i remember this sense of resistance to just like let's not coronate this kid before the big movie comes out right where everybody thought that the cart was getting put before the horse with all these nominations for life as a house and also the fact that like life as a house had no other awards momentum whatsoever like that wasn't get not getting nominated in and like anywhere for anything else i think it got well kevin klein got a sag nomination oh he yeah, did I was say, i'm surprised if kevin yeah. klein didn't get any oh well then i'm totally wrong okay so klein yeah. did also have some momentum then all right but i mean the thing that kept this movie in any type of conversation was hayden christensen he got the breakthrough with national board of review right he got right. a couple other breakthrough uh, mentions it does sort of make you appreciate the sort of the evolutionary uh, charms of a Timothy Chalamet, who's like had also like a similar sort of, you know, breaking through, but it happened more organically, maybe. And he's just better. You know what I mean? Just like now we have our current day version of, you know, this Hayden Christensen moment, except it's Timothy Chalamet and he's just a better actor. I don't know. Wait for uh, Timothy Chalamet's jumper. Let's see what happens. I mean, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet won't prove he's better to me until he can do his own version of Little Italy. Ah, Little Italy. <laughs> Fair. That Fair. movie only exists to me as a poster. Was it a jumper he started dating? Um, Rachel Bilson. Rachel Bilson? Yep. Right. And they yeah. dated mm-hmm. for a while, right? Yeah, they were. Yeah, that was a long one. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. Uh, Jumper's not good. Poor Doug Lyman. I'm like looking at Hayden's like wiki right now, and I'm just like, let me look, let me look at those Canadian TV credits, and it's great. He was in an episode of Goosebumps, you guys. He was. <laughs> he was in an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? You know, he was in an episode of Famous Jet Jackson, which I do remember. Um, he was, was that Nickelodeon? One of the cool kids. Was Jet Jackson Jet Nickelodeon? Jackson was Disney. Was Disney. Uh, okay. And it's not on Disney Plus because uh, there's some of their Canadian shows uh, that they don't have like the, the distribution rights for. So unfortunately, the famous Jet Jackson is one of them. And it is a oh, crime. Oh, no. Oh, that's too bad. Fully yeah. don't remember him in The Virgin Suicides. Now I'm looking at this, these uh, credits, too. I don't remember him in Virgin Suicides. I will say uh, he is really great in Shattered Glass. Like He is. The, yeah. like... It's just one of those things that I think it's a tremendous casting thing. Like, if there's anything where we are, like, skeptical about him as his persona, it's, like, it's all embedded in that role yeah. um, in a way that uh, comes to fruition beautifully. Although I, I know that, especially when the Star Wars movies came out w- with uh, Hayden, a lot of people were just like, like, it was basically the bowling cry, but he's great in Shattered Glass. It's true. <laughs> it's that thing where, like, if you're really good in one movie, people are going to hold on to that forever and ever and ever. And, and it's partly because he's cast so well in the movie. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. 
Uh, I'm looking forward to whatever HBO or Hulu or Netflix series casts him in a few years in this like very sort of nondescript role where you're like you get to the end of the pilot and you're just like that was Hayden Christensen and he I'm, has a little bit of a comeback. I'm sort of looking forward to that. That'd be. Fun. I'm thinking he's going to be USA. It's either going to be The Sinner or Dirty John. Oh, he's in the new season of The Sinner. That's perfect. Let's cast Wait, that. Let's make yeah, that happen. That, it's one of those two. That's what's going to happen. I That's love that I'm idea. I love that for him. That's perfect. Uh, excellent. Very good. Yeah, 2001 Oscars. So this is the other thing about Life as a House is it comes out in October, late October. And it's still within that like shadow of 9-11 era for movies where I remember all the buzzy sort of stuff this year, like nothing felt like it was movies didn't didn't feel like they were real quite yet until like to me, until Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter sort of like mm-hmm. jolted everything back into shape in December. But there and was this they whole kind of gave people these big worlds to get lost in that were not our own and right. things that weren't as bleak or if they were dark, like it was about transcending darkness. Yes. But up until then, it was, I remember there was like, what was that Robert Redford movie? Is it called The Last Castle? Yes. Like that was a fall of that year. So wait, I want to go into, because we remember like the very specific, like the movies that like 9-11 sort of wiped out the box office chances for, which are like mm-hmm. Glitter Our and ball. Donnie Darko and well, yeah, that Glitter kind of famously, stuff. it would have been a huge success if not right. for 9-11. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, don't Say a Word, I think was in that like right that week after mm-hmm. that, Hearts in Atlantis. But then you get into November and it's like, um, serendipity uh bandits um well Mulholland Drive but Mulholland Drive was a very late bloomer the last riding castle cars with our boys the episode we did we did an episode on riding cars with boys k-packs for god's sake freaking k-packs <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um what 2001 else? a time for kevin spacey yeah, for sure. The Man Who Wasn't There was in November that year. Life is a House. Life is a House opening wide the same weekend that Shallow Hal did is also like a curse upon curses. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Harry Potter in late November and, and things sort of started to feel like uh, real movies again. And there were like good movies like interspersed in there. But in general, it felt like, you know, America was in this like odd little haze. I don't know. What else? What else should we talk about? For life as a house. Hmm. Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein's an interesting career, actually. Where you look at, he gets the Oscar in 1988 for A Fish Called Wanda, the very rare, like, true comedy Oscar, where it's just like, it's Mm -hmm. not like comedy, but with darkness, comedy, but with poignancy. It's just like, no. Or like one of the last comedy Oscars, we should say. Yeah. They were more common in like the 60s. And so after that, He's still making comedies. He's still doing Soap Dish and um, I Love You to Death with Tracy Ullman. And he's in French in and Kiss. Out. And right, In and Out, um, which is another one that like you get a nomination for uh, Joan Cusack. But there's also this series of movies. Dave is another comedy that he's in and he's great. That's one of those movies where like if the Oscars were better with comedies, Kevin Klein would have probably had a really good shot at a nomination for Dave. But he's also then after that Oscar, there's every once in a while they'll put him in something that feels like, oh, we're going to try and get like a best actor nomination for him. And whether that's well, he's in an ensemble in Grand Canyon, but like that was definitely going hard for 
poignancy and like trying to be of the moment and whatnot. Um, the ice storm we've talked about on this podcast before, where like mm-hmm. that's a big sort of serious dramatic lead role for him. Life as a house. The year after Life as a House, he's in a movie called The Emperor's Club, which is like I love how you skip over Wild Wild West like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wild Wild West was not maybe the uh, Oscar positioned uh, film for him, but yeah, he noted gets um, awful reviews entry for to Wild the Criterion Collection, the Cahier du Cinema, uh, <laughs> Wild Wild West. Yeah. Um, Emperor's Club is very uh, Dead Poets Society light, as I recall. He plays Cole Porter in De Lovely in 2004. Um, and then it just like really drops off and really like from pretty much he's in a Prairie Home Companion is a supporting role. He's very funny in that, I think. And then from then up until Ricky and the Flash, it's just a lot of sort of detritus, right? Where it's like Really mm-hmm. small roles or really small movies. And and he was doing a lot more theater again. Right. And then obviously, like, it all turned around when he played Maurice in the live action Beauty and the Beast. And we all remember how <laughs> We all know how was. it turned around. That, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, and he got his Oscar for that movie. Yes. Yes. He got finally that long awaited second Oscar for Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I'm noticing, because I'm, look, I'm looking too at his credits. Like, he started playing a uh, hot older man, hot distinguished older man, like, and definitely maybe, and no strings attached. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and then he gets sort of uh, Last Vegas, which, like, is his Congratulations, You're Old Now kind of a movie where it's just like, <laughs> now you will be in a movie that is about how old you are. And. There we are. And yeah, I don't know. I really liked him in Ricky and the Flash. We've talked. So this has got to be, this is our third Klein then after, uh, after Ricky and the Flash and Ice Storm and the Ice Storm. Yeah. I don't know. I think he's good in this, but I don't, I don't, can't really point to any other performance besides maybe Dave where I'm like, oh, Kevin Klein should have gotten an Oscar nomination for that. I mean, you could make the case for uh, the Ice Storm. I think there's a handful of people who are more exciting than him in that movie. Uh, De Lovely was definitely part of the conversation, but uh, we'll get into. That we'll do movie that movie whenever for we sure. cover it. Yes, we will. We will um, definitely cover. Isn't that. that also an Irwin Winkler movie? It is. It is an Irwin. I think it was maybe Boy. his last. Like I don't know. Irwin Winkler coming for Lassa Hallstrom's gig. Yeah, well, Erwin Winkler is one of those people who, like, very successful as a producer, and then as a director, it just doesn't really happen for him. His other movies are The Net. He directed The Net. Um, Oh, yeah. He directed the movie um, At First Sight with Mira Sorvino and Val Kilmer. Oh, yes, where uh, they get... I always conflate this with Untamed Heart because he gets a baboon heart in Untamed Heart. And for whatever reason, I lived years of my life thinking that Val Kilmer got baboon eyes in the movie. Baboon eyes? See, I always conflate um, At First Sight with One Fine Day and City of Angels. They're all the same genre. All of their posters are basically the same, except like One Fine Day is like the happy version of the same poster, but the same movie poster. Right. Yeah. It's all peach colored. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then his last movie that he directed was something called Home of the Brave, which was a uh, Iraq War movie in 2006 that starred Samuel L. Jackson, Jessica Biel, 50 Cent, Christina Ricci, and Chad Michael Murray. So there we have it (laughs) with that cast. 
That is that's like the entire crazy. ironic invite list to like a VF party. <laughs> yes, it's it's the it's the um uh, Vanity Fair Oscar party photos, but it's like the really late at night ones where like mm-hmm. everybody else has gone home and it's just like who's still there? It's Jessica Biel and Chad Michael Murray and Fifty Cent just like cutting it up, and yeah. So that's the last uh, movie that Erwin Winkler has directed. He is 89 years young and still uh, still kicking and good for him. Um, yeah, I would say the direction on this movie does not distinguish itself too much, even though the cinematographer on this is... Um, um, Vilma Sigmund, Vilma right? Sigmund. It's just like, you're really like... Wild. Hauling out the heavy artillery for uh, filming the these... finest uh, cinematographers in the history of cinema. Just like... Filming cliffside shots. Showed up for this yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, we really wanted... Uh, they wanted the Oscar buzz. It really did. That's the thing. I think it really did. Even though the fact that like... You mentioned earlier that I Am Sam was a New Line film, which I had forgotten because I was like, oh, obviously mm-hmm. uh, Life as a House didn't get too much Oscar love because all of that New Line Oscar money was put into Lord of the Rings. Like this was the this was the big uh, intro Oscar push for the Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. I could re- be remembering this wrong, but I think they dropped I Am Sam at the end of the season, like last minute. Yes. I don't think going into the fall that it was originally planned to be there. Because that was Sean Penn's nominations in both 99 for Sweet and Low Down and 2001 for I Am Sam were both really late breakers as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because yeah, that 2001 Best Actor sort of field took a while to firm up, I think, where it was everybody assumed that it was Russell Crowe, and then nobody else really knew what else was going to come in there. And then the Denzel Washington buzz sort of accumulated over time, and I Am Sam happened, and then wait, who are the other two nominees that year? Uh, Tom Wilkinson. Oh, uh, for in the bedroom, which was a Sundance so movie, good. so um, good, incredible, um, and then Will Smith for Ali, right? Who I think is which fantastic. was a huge buzz movie throughout the season, and then the movie itself kind of disappointed people. And Will yet, Smith was never not getting nominated for it. And yet, by the time then, I'll, then it was enough to even get John Voight nominated too. So, like, I think that buzz kind of rebounded a little bit. Will Smith is so good in that movie. I sometimes feel like. Given how many great performances Denzel Washington gave after uh, Training Day, that I feel like, oh, maybe Will Smith could have won the Oscar that year in 2001. And then... We could have given Denzel uh, an Oscar for Fences, uh, what I think is his best work. He's also incredible. We could have given Denzel an Oscar for a lot of things. For amazing things. I mean, I, I'm uh, the person that's like, rewatch Roma J. Israel. He's amazing. He is um, amazing in that. He would be my winner that year. For Roman J. Israel? Yeah. That's interesting. That's fascinating. It's so good. Of anybody that year or of the five nominees? Uh, definitely of the five nominees. Fascinating. Anyway, <laughs> justice for Will Smith and Ali. I think he's really good. Um, What else? Now I'm going to like pull it- out my notes. You're going to hear my little papers flapping around. This is mostly like the uh, one of the best uh, best actress years, even though that doesn't. This movie doesn't really give us room to talk about it, but uh, it goes without saying. 
Yeah, Nicole Kidman giving two of the best performances of the year and only got nominated for one of them. Thank you, Rules. Yes. Okay, what else do I have? Very post-American Beauty, EW It List. Also, the fact that, like, Sam Robards just sort of, like, shows up in character actor roles and stuff like this or on, like, The West Wing or whatever. And I always have to be like, oh, right, he's Lauren Bacall's son. Like, he's Lauren Bacall and Jason (laughs) Robards' son. And it's just like, because it's like, he's good in things, but it's like, Lauren Bacall was like a movie star's movie star, right? And it's just like, he's not quite that. And like, yeah, he's he's Nate Archibald's dad on Gossip Girl. He's the captain. <laughs> he forgot about that. Holy shit, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, you know, classic character actor. Hey, it's that guy kind of a kind of a thing. I don't know. I didn't really like this movie, but I'm glad I saw it again. I think that was maybe that maybe was where I come out on uh, on this. Yeah, it was one of those things where I'm like, well, I for- I forgot a good portion of this. Uh, <laughs> over two hours long. Uh, why do we need any of that when there's clearly things that are missing and should be in this movie? And yet two hours long. Uh, but it was nice to revisit, I guess. Yeah, and it was it was fun to like watch it as an adult, I guess, and uh, see what insanity I was watching as a kid. I'm like, yeah, this is cinema. <laughs> It really feels like the first time in a minute that we've done a movie like this that was so clearly conceived and written under the umbrella of prestige yeah. um, and yeah. seriousness that, like, it, it, it. this movie is so, like, trippy. Only in the early 2000s could this movie exist. It's true. Yeah, very much like there's a there's a very narrow window of time where this movie would have existed in its in the way that it does. I think Hayden Christensen's character is very much styled of the time. Obviously, we talked about the American Beauty influences. Uh, yeah, yeah. A house. Cool. I will say the house looks nice when we saw the little shot at the end of the house. Well, yeah, it looks it amazing. Nice. I know it's going to be haunted by Kevin Klein forever, so like that'll be weird. But that's what you get, you know? That's what you get with a house like that when it's a man inside a house. Little architecture models just keep popping up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was the other thing is early on when he, like, barnstorms the architectural firm and breaks everything and walks out with his model and then collapses onto it into the courtyard. And I'm just like, well, now that model's all broken. Like, the whole fact that, like, I hope that wasn't... He can't really take it with him when he dies, you know? Right. It's true. He took the blueprints, though, right? Did he take the blueprints too? No, I think they said he could just take a model. Maybe he stole the blueprints and after with his weird post Columbine like kind of harrowing thing where like all of the people in the office were very concerned and kind of rightly so. That is actually a really scary scene. Yes. Yeah, he has a weapon. He's a, he's a menace. I was like, okay, so he goes to prison and that's the movie now because this is <laughs> right. not like And he dies in prison. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's not walking out safely in that I, building. I was not rooting for this terrifying man. It's true. No, that I think that is the other thing is maybe it's just like I'm not I'm never really like super rooting for him at any point in this movie. Like I kind of wish the sun could have just gone to Tahoe and I kind of like I guess I'm like passively rooting for the house to get built or whatever. And I'm like rooting for him with Kristen Scott Thomas, but only because Jamie Sheridan's character seems worse. But mm-hmm. I don't oh, know if George. I'm actively rooting for. Yeah, not George. There's George and there's not George. 
Uh, I just didn't understand what about him made him bad or an asshole specifically to his family. Like, I get it with his coworkers. I get it with his neighbors. But, like, you just are asked to kind of buy that they have these estranged relationships. This is the war of the world's problem. What's the the grudge? Right. You know, like, what was the behavior that led to this? Yeah. Right. She clearly fell in love with him. So, like, what was he putting out there before that she's like, I'm into this. Uh, and also, regarding going to Tahoe, I think the thing I love the most about Tahoe is that he would still be working on a house, apparently, if he went to Tahoe. Right. <laughs> I think what, uh, what John Foster tells him. The movie is asking that one scene of him peeing off of the cliffside to, to carry a lot of weight in terms of telling us what his character is like. Because that, I think, is supposed to sum up, like, he's slovenly, he doesn't give a shit, he's crude, and he's inconsiderate. And it's just like, okay, but he's also just, like, he's peeing off a cliff and he's not peeing on anybody. You know, whatever. It's just like, it's, you know, whatever. One scene can only do so much character building. <laughs> anyway, do we want to... Should we move on to the IMDb game? Yeah, Chris, why don't you tell us uh, and our listeners what the IMDb game is? All right, so the IMDb game. Every week we end our episodes with this game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles' release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Love a free-for-all of hints. Um, All right, LaToya... You have come armed with a selection for the IMDb game. Would you like to give first or guess first? And who would you like to give uh, your clue to or guess from? That's a lot of choice. I would like to to guess first to get it out of the way since I've been so terrified of it. And (laughs) Joe, you can do it. Okay. All right. So I will uh, give to LaToya. LaToya will give to Chris and Chris can give to me. All right. (laughs) So we'll get it out of the way early. I mentioned before that Kevin Klein's Oscar is for the 1988 film A Fish Called Wanda. It's very funny. He's very good. He has a lot of scenes opposite Jamie Lee Curtis, who we have never done as an IMDb game before. Wow. So, LaToya, why don't you give me uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's known for? And, of course, it's not going to be any uh, Activia commercials, correct? No, it's all uh, feature films. <laughs> Feature films. Okay. Uh, we discussed Lindsay Lohan, so I'm going to go with Freaky Friday for one. Correct. Freaky Friday. Huh. Let's see. The poster for Freaky Friday, by the way, is like blazed into my memory. The I am shot <laughs> of Jamie Lee Curtis with the jean jacket and the punky hair and the choker and the um, like plaid rocker skirt with the guitar looking absolutely just deer like absolutely deer in the headlights crazed and befuddled and lohan in this like really ill-fitting oversized suit which like super delights me it's a power suit uh lindsey lohan i love it it's such a great poster all right you're one for one okay one for one uh so i was just listening to the blank check episode on this so i'm gonna say um true lies yes true lies True Lies, a movie I've seen a million times, usually on FX with all the commercials, and it's already like a five-hour film, so. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Those lies, they're true, baby. (laughs) Gotta love those lies. Lies as a house. (laughs) 
Uh, as a house bit, love it. Um, let's see. Two more? Two more. Mm-hmm. No wrong guesses, too. Halloween. Which Halloween? Oh, no. She has been there in, are two movies. She has been in two movies Halloween. that are just called Halloween. That's bullshit. I can't believe we haven't talked about Scream 5 n- renamed Scream. I know! What on the this fuck podcast. are they doing? <laughs> because Joe and I both basically screamed at each other on Twitter while agreeing with each other that it is bad for both Halloween and Scream to just say fuck all to their search engine optimization. Right. Our new movie is, is our the, old movie. The original Halloween. It's not the original Halloween, so that's one strike. Bullshit. So, but that means that it is new Halloween, but it's also bullshit. It is bullshit. All right. David Gordon Green doesn't deserve to have uh, his Halloween on Jamie Lee. You super hate that Halloween. I don't mind. I I think that's a good Halloween. I think it's good. The last fifteen minutes of it are so good, and the rest of it is. It's he's he's on the prison checkerboard. It's kind of it's it's creepy. David Gordon Green and. Danny, what's his name? That I hate. McBride. They didn't deserve to get to make that movie. I, Danny McBride. I you hate Danny funny. McBride? Yes. Oh, boy. All right, so you've got one left, and you've got only one strike on you. Uh, trading Places? No, so that's two strikes. Uh, your missing year is 1998. And I will say our discussions in this episode have uh, laid the groundwork for this one. <laughs> Halloween H2O. It's Halloween H2O. You are correct. The WBest yes. of all Halloween movies. Yes. <laughs> Start. My expertise comes in handy, finally. Yes. As soon as I saw Jamie Lee Curtis's, I'm just like, this is what I'm giving with Toya for sure. It's Michelle Williams, uh, uh, Josh Hartnett. Um, who's the one you always bring up, Chris, when we do uh, categories? Adam Hanbird. <laughs> Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in this as well. Yeah. Jody Lynn O'Keefe, who has only, like, who kind of ceased to exist once this trend of uh, of WB-era teen movies went away. But, Which uh, sucks because she's great. Um, she's in the 60s of The Vampire Diaries as uh, one of the characters' love interests, and she is, like, so good in it. It's like the oh. season that, like, a lot of it is about the 90s. The season, so it's like it's a perfect casting to have her, and it's just like Jodie Lynn O'Keefe rocks, you guys. Jodie Lynn O'Keefe <laughs> was on uh, Another World, which is my favorite soap opera when I was younger, uh, as a recast for this like teen Hellion who, like, she was the um, uh, like uh, rock, like not rocking, but she was just like the problem teen who joined the was the uh, the long lost great niece of the like grand family at the center of the soap opera. So she would like mm-hmm. injected new life into, and it was like now all of her and her friends were like the young, sexy like uh, characters in this. And then Jodie Lynn O'Keefe was the first recast for this role. And she was, the original was blonde and she was brunette and the original was sort of bubbly and Jodie Lynn O'Keefe was not bubbly because that is not her vibe. So <laughs> I remember that very specifically as like a, uh, very hairpin turn for that character. <laughs> All right. Well done, though, uh, Latoya. You uh, you nailed that one. All I, right. I did it. I, I didn't fuck it up. Yeah. So worried. <laughs> All right. So now you give to Chris. Okay, Chris. Uh, so we um, discussed the film Shattered Glass. Spectacular. Uh, and in uh, Hayden Christensen's Shattered Glass, uh, Melanie Linsky plays one of his uh, co-workers. 
Oh my god! So good yeah, in that. I love her so much. So, uh, what are this her? This is going to be hard. Um, there is a TV show. I'll give you that. Uh, is the TV show Togetherness? Yes, of course. Okay. Um, Heavenly Creatures. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what of her movies would be high on the algorithm. She's amazing and Hello, I Must Be Going. I don't think that's going to be on there. What else have been her lead roles? What about, like, Happy Christmas? No. Okay. Um, maybe I should go supporting in this. She is in Away We Go. Is that going to be my answer? No, because a million people are in that. Uh, what about, like, Up in the Air? Is that your answer? Yeah, Up in the Air. Yes. Ah! Spectacular. Very good. Um, mm. I'm just gonna say Away We Go. Because that's, like, the first thing that's coming to my mind. No, and the year is 2016. Oh, okay, so it's semi-recent. It's not Happy Christmas. It's... 2016 maybe that's no that's that's well before uh hello i must be going uh that's around the time of togetherness there is a distinct connection between this film yeah and a film that is very much in the discourse right now oh um not discussed on this episode yet but is in the 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 discourse uh this of week. what people are talking about right now hillbilly I, elegy i mean we did actually discuss it on this episode oh did we oh yeah oh i don't remember that my memory's gone. um what else Ooh, we talked about. oh yes we did we did talk about it briefly didn't <laughs> we yes we talked about happiest season that's in the discourse right now is it connected to happiest season yeah, yes may- maybe yes. okay um <laughs> I'm, I'm helping him Thank it you. can't be like mary steenbergen it's i feel like that clue really could be helped. kristen stewart but i feel like i would lose my mind if uh melanie linsky and kristen stewart were in a movie together i think you um, might be overthinking it now yeah think more oh, okay. fundamental to the to the film gay stuff no <laughs> like Christmas. a per like a person but like not just someone in the cast Oh, um, uh, Clea Duvall directed it. Is it directed by Clea Duvall? Oh, it's The Intervention. Yes. There you go. The Intervention. Oh, that's a good movie. It is a good movie. I really like that yeah. movie. Really great cast, too, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. What's her name um, from the Marvel movies is super good in it. Kobe Smulders, I think, is super good in that movie. Uh, R.I.P. Stumptown. I know. Yeah, sad. Well done. Wonderful. Did somebody just pop right, a so bottle? Joe... I'm very happy about whatever I just heard. <laughs> that was... I was drinking my water from my water bottle, and then, like, I put it down, and it just, like, went clunk. It just did say... makes those really satisfying splashes. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like somebody popped a cork, and I was just like, yes, let's get the party going. <laughs> All right. Um, cork is a house. Life is a cork. Life is a cork. Um, <laughs> I'm as I love to do. I'm running this bitch straight take it, into the ground. Take it, babe. Um, 
Joseph, for you, uh, Hayden Christensen, we mentioned, was probably like one of the big almost there uh, supporting actor performances this year in terms of not getting nominated. Another one that I think of when I think of 2001 was a favorite among the critics, got a Golden Globe nomination, did not get SAG, did not get Oscar. It's Mr. Steve Buscemi. Ah, Steve Buscemi. Um... Steven Buscemi. Okay, so is Ghost World one of them? Yes. All right. Is Fargo one of them? Yes. Okay. Is Reservoir Dogs one of them? Yes, be very careful with your next guesses. You could get our first perfect score in a minute. God, thank you for keeping (laughs) on the press. Okay, so it could be another Tarantino. He is in Pulp Fiction, but very briefly. Um, And none of it's television, right? Nope, no TV. So no Boardwalk Empire, which kind of surprises me, but okay. Um, Let's talk about Boardwalk Empire. I recapped that show for Television Without Pity, so I, like, know so much about Boardwalk Empire. Um, <laughs> at least the early season. I sort of developed this, like, very, like, love-hate relationship with it, and that devolved to mostly hate, just because I had to write about it at length each week. And I was just like, oh my god, everybody's so violent, I hate it. Like, anyway. Yeah, I think I, like, kind of cut out, I was, like, done once they cut off Michael Pitt, because I'm like, well, I want to... Well, now this isn't happening anymore. And then, like, Bobby Cannavale, who I love, but he was doing, you know, what he does, which is the most acting. That season was what killed me. Like, that was the season where it was just like, I love Bobby Cannavale, but he's got it turned up to 17, and he won an Emmy for it. And I was like, no, this is just not, it just being extra like this is not acting. Like, what the fuck? So, and then I cut out, and then they added Jeffrey Wright to the cast, and I was like, fuck you, I love Jeffrey Wright. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Steve Buscemi, I'm still trying to do the fourth. Okay, so... It's not going to be like Trees Lounge, which he directed. It's going to be something that he's like a featured supporting. Is it another Cohen's thing? Oh, is it The Big Lebowski? It is not Fuck! The Big Lebowski. Damn it. Okay. Aww, almost perfect. Almost perfect. I know. Um, I think we technically count perfect scores if you don't have to get the year. Yeah, you're generous about that. I'm much more of a stickler, but I, I'll, I'll go with you on this. Um... All right, all right. It, no, I'm not going to... It's not Pulp Fiction. It can't be Pulp Fiction. Okay. Um, there's got to be another Cohen's one in there somewhere. You know, I could give you a hint, but you haven't got I haven't got the yet. next one wrong yet. Okay, so... All right, I'm just going to say Pulp Fiction so I can get the hint. It is not Pulp Fiction. Uh, your year is 2017, though. I would like to, even though you haven't guessed that much, I would like to give it a caveat that it opened in the U.S. in 2018. Okay. All right. So, so 2017 on IMDb, but like we consider it. So a it played a festival or something in 2017, and then it didn't open until 2018. Um, is it an awardsy movie? <sighs> No, no, but yes. It's not a movie. Say ish. I mean, like, it got 
no Oscar nominations, but like there were critics groups that supported this movie. It has BAFTA nominations. Is he like one of the main guys or is he like far down the cast? Uh, I mean, uh, main guys in this movie, you're probably talking about equal footing for like five people. Oh, and it's too late to be one of those earlier Martin McDonough movies. He's not in, obviously, Three Billboards would have been much more of an Oscar movie, and that was actually 2017. Okay. The problem is, all of 2018 is a blur to me, movie-wise. Right. Everything is just like, okay, so that was The Star is Born Year, and Green Book, and bohemian rhapsody and all this stuff that everybody this was a uh, an outlier like when people were predicting like their fifth uh screenplay nominee they might have chosen oh this. it is cohen's right is it buster scruggs no oh fuck that was actually a nominee is he even in that i don't know i may be rem- misremembering yeah things. everybody's Maybe. in that somewhere i also sometimes allow my brain to like mix his credits with tim blake nelson's credits even though i don't think the two of them are all that similar but anyway all right i'm gonna need another hint (laughs) this is a writer director who had done movies before but uh had become famous in the interim for uh running a certain tv show not true detective no different genre comedy yes for show running a comedy yes left that comedy to make this movie oh network comedy uh what do you like primetime television no okay but not a streamer this is tough (laughs) okay um it was an hbo show Oh, HBO comedies, uh, not Entourage. Oh, 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 (laughs) I did see this at a festival in 2017, and it didn't open until March of the next year. Uh, Death of Stalin. The Death of Stalin. He's so good in that movie. Everybody is so good. Another movie I just don't care for. Okay, I can't. I can't with you in that. It's such a good movie. I laugh a bunch, but I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know if Iannucci's attempts at drama are for me. It's so good. All right. Well, I went gangbusters for the first three of those and then really (laughs) crapped out. Okay. um, It should have been a screenplay nominee. Anyway. Uh, any last thoughts before we take her out? This was a good discussion, I thought. I think we got into lots of little, uh, the little alcoves and uh, and eaves of this uh, this film as a house. <laughs> that uh, we uh, love to do. LaToya, it was so amazing having you on. Thank you for Thank uh, you joining so us and uh, giving us a wild movie to discuss and making it a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for letting me uh, revisit this film for the first time in many years. <laughs> happy to have it that I'm is sure why we will be the last people to do so that is why we are here we want to be uh, the reason why people revisit movies that they haven't thought about in many many a decade um that is our episode yeah. Sorry. is probably the most someone's talked about life as a house since 2002 honestly yes <laughs> no it's true and uh, and we're proud of that we're proud of that little uh little push in the right direction 
If you want more of this at Oscar Buzz, though, you can check out the Tumblr at this at oscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Latoya, where can the listeners find you online? Uh, the listeners can find me on Twitter at Lafergs, L-A-F-E-R-G-S. And from there, you can find my writing and such because I will be plugging because that's what I do. And you can listen to me on other podcasts, uh, such as uh, The Angel on Top, uh, Angel Rewatch Podcast, and uh, The Empire Diaries, which is a Vampire Diaries Rewatch Podcast, both spoiler-free for the most part. Nice. How far into Angel are you? Well, I actually have just taken over as the host of Angel right. on Top. So I'm I'm starting in season three of Angel, which is a good season to start in. Yeah. Season three is when it really uh, hits that next gear of... Uh, the whole season is an episode, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right, Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Also on Twitter at Chris File. That's F-E-I-L. Uh, also on Letterboxd under the same name. Follow my alt account at As a House. Um, <laughs> well, now you have to make that. You know that, right? Yeah, it's true. I, I might. Maybe I will. Um, I'll uh, work on that before this episode drops so you have lots of fun uh, content to go back on. <laughs> it's probably taken, but um, I'll sue them. Yeah. <laughs> Go go to the uh, city planning board and say that their uh, alt account has uh, six inches too much uh, height on it and must be knocked down. All right, that's it. I don't know. I didn't. Well, I, <laughs> I didn't know no, whether we could. That's it's your uh, it's your uh, entry to say uh, what you are at as a house uh, on Twitter. Oh, I am. Uh, I'm uh, life as a at Joe Reed on Twitter. Reed being spelled R E I D. I'm on Letterboxd, frantic- frantically trying to cram all of the 2020 movies that I haven't watched uh, into the end of the year. Also as uh, Joe Reed, spelled R E I D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify, wherever else you get podcasts on that great and beautiful internet. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please stop wearing makeup to prove that you are a good son and write something nice about you. Sorry, write something nice about us, please. You can write whatever you want about you. Write something nice about yourself. Give us us a five star but really give yourself <laughs> right. the five star give yourself a star give an extra give star a just five for being star you. too actually yeah absolutely listen, you wear whatever you want on your face we approve of you and we accept you and that's all i can say about that that is all for this week but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz and more guster that's it more houses more houses my life the way you